0: Welcome to Powell Butte Christian Church's Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, senior pastor here at Powell Butte Christian Church in Powell Butte, Oregon. And it's uh, good that you have uh, connected with us. Uh, Last week, we just used the audio from Sunday morning, the Sunday service. I was not able to get a chance to do it ahead of time. This week, I do have some time to do that, so... This is what we're getting ready to be looking at on Sunday morning, uh, September 26th, at, uh, here in Powell Butte, Oregon, at Powell Butte Christian Church. Uh, we're, we're in a, a series on spiritual health. And last week we looked a, a little bit about uh, why it's important for us to have a clean heart or a pure heart for God to create, and that's something new. And today I want to continue to talk about heart healthy choices. Um, but really, to talk about that song that I brought up last week called A Pure Heart. Before I get into that, though, um, you, you know, a lot of people love the NFL. Some people are a little tired of it right now with the politics going on, but I, I'm a football fan. I love the NFL, and I actually love the NFL draft. Not too many people that I know actually get into the draft like I do. Uh, they they enjoy watching the games, but uh, the whole picking uh, players from the college teams, that just seems boring to a lot of people. My wife comes home, and they, she sees me watching the NFL draft, and she just <laughs> she walks away. Uh, that's not something that she'd be interested in. I, I want to talk about, though, a story in the Old Testament similar. Uh, it's, it's an event similar to the NFL draft. So this is way, way back, thousands of years ago. Israel had been begging God for a king. Samuel, who was God's prophet, had said, no, you already have a king. God is your king. But God says, you know what? If they want a king, it's going to get them into a bunch of trouble. But uh, let's let them have a king. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're They're rejecting me. And so God gave them a, a man named Saul to be their very first king. Saul was king over Israel. But Saul messed up. He messed up. He disobeyed God. He had a hard heart. He did not have a heart that would follow after God. So God withdrew his spirit from Saul. And then he had the prophet Samuel uh, to uh, go to Bethlehem to a man named Jesse and to go essentially draft a new king. Okay? Okay? And that king was going to come, the new king was going to come from Jesse's family. The, the story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you're taking notes. But I'll, I'll just kind of explain the story to you real quick. So one of Jesse's sons is going to be anointed king, right? This is going to be the draft choice of king. And, and, and it's, uh, it's very exciting for Jesse, I'm sure, uh, to know that one of his boys was going to be famous. So Jesse brings out who he thought was going to be the best representative for that job as king. And uh, indeed, Samuel is very, very pleased with the looks and the athleticism of Eliab, and he's ready to anoint him, uh, Samuel is. But God says, nope, not him. Oh, well, okay. That, that, that was a little unexpected. Okay, well, let's bring out the, the next prospect. So the second oldest. Jesse brings out uh, Abinadab, and uh, not a bad specimen at all here. Samuel's ready to anoint him, and God says, nope, not him. Now, if you've ever watched the NFL draft, there are occasions where there's a guy from the college ranks who is supposed to be really, really, really good, and he's supposed to be drafted early in the first round. And yet, invariably, what happens is here's this guy, and he's waiting to have his name called. And the first round of 32 teams, 32 picks, they come around. It comes and it goes, and the guy's still sitting there, undrafted. It gets a little embarrassing because the camera keeps coming back on the guy, and he's sitting through the second round, another 32 picks, and then sometimes into the third round, and man, you you feel sorry for him because the cameras still go to him to show him just sitting there very, very awkwardly. You've got to feel for this guy, right? I can only imagine the the incredulity of Samuel as he meets seven of Jesse's boys, all great candidates—or so he thinks—for king. Literally seven draft picks, and yet not one of them is acceptable in God's sight. That must have been baffling to Saul. I mean, to Samuel. I'm sorry. That that must have been baffling to Samuel. It, it would have been baffling to Jesse. It would have been baffling to the seven sons who had been rejected. Why are you passing on all these great guys? God, well, God gives Samuel the reason. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7, and this is the key verse for what we're looking at today is this. The Lord said to Samuel, "Listen, don't consider their appearance. Don't 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 consider the height of these guys. I've rejected them because the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the Heart. And it's not until, by the way, the eighth pick that Samuel is finally given the green light as God chooses the shepherd boy, David, to be anointed the next king of Israel. Literally the last the last choice, the last pick. By the way, it's going to go down in NFL lore that the GOAT, the greatest of all times, Tom Brady, whether you love him or hate him, he was actually taken, This this amazing quarterback that's still playing in his 40s, He was not the first-round pick or the second-round pick or the third-round pick or the fourth-round pick. It wasn't until the sixth round that Tom Brady was taken. Six quarterbacks had been taken before Tom Brady. Why? Well, just like Samuel, those NFL scouts and coaches and general managers for that 2000 NFL draft, they were looking at the wrong thing. No one even considered this guy who has become the greatest of all time, quarterbacks in the NFL. And no one would have considered the shepherd boy, David, who actually became the greatest of all time. He became Israel's most beloved kings of all time. Man may look on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, if you think about that, that should make you a little uncomfortable. It makes me a little uncomfortable to know that God sees my heart. See, I can hide my sin from you. I can hide my struggle from other people. But I'm never going to be able to pull the wool over God's eyes because He sees through me. He examines my heart. Last week, we saw the importance of heart-healthy choices and how God longs to create us in us a pure heart. And this week, I want to focus in on four aspects of that pure heart. Four aspects of the heart that God looks at. Four aspects that He is concerned with. Areas of our heart that correlate with our spiritual health. And these four things, as I told you, come from this song. A pure heart. Um, That's what I long for. A heart that follows hard after Thee. And then it says, a heart that hides your word so that sin may not come in. A heart that's undivided but one you rule and reign. A heart that beats compassion that pleases you, my Lord. A sweet aroma of worship that rises to your throne. So I want to look at those four things so that we might uh, understand what kind of heart God is desiring for us to develop as his people. A heart... First of all, that hides your word. Why? Why do we need to hide God's word in our heart? A heart that hides your word so that sin may not come in. Psalm one, nineteen, nine and 11. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you, so let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I'm going to ask a very dangerous question. Do you think it's possible for someone to be able to not sin? Now, that could be an amazing Bible study, in my opinion. I'm sure that you would have to consider the truth of our sinful nature, that you'd have to consider the fact that none of us can make ourselves perfect in God's sight through our own righteousness because of sin and the power that it has over us, uh, you, you, you got to bring into the, uh, the equation the fact that Paul says that there is no one righteous in and of himself. No, not one. But then there are Scripture verses like 1 John 3.9 that says no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. Because he's been born of God, he cannot go on sinning. Or, or Galatians five six. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then what Jesus said in John 14, that if we love Him, we will keep His commands. We will keep His commands. And then there's that Psalm 119.11, Your word I've I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Sure seems like some of the Bible sure says that though we cannot become totally sinless, we can live a, a, a holy spirit empowered life where sin has less and less and less control over us as we give more and more and more control over our lives to god letting him not just forgive us but then to purify us from all unrighteousness as we read of in first john chapter 1 now there are a variety of ways that god does that to to purify us from unrighteousness not just forgiving us but getting rid of the sin Well, uh, sometimes he uh, uses uh, Christ-honoring fellowship, uh, authenticity that we have with other believers to help uh, sharpen us and and get rid of the sin that entangles. Um, Sometimes it's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit as he chips away at our heart. But we must never, ever overlook or forget the power of God's Word in the life of the believer. You see, we are told to hide his Word in our heart When we do that, that becomes a safeguard that gives us strength to say no to the temptations that would lead us into sin. sin. That's how Jesus stood up to the devil in the wilderness, by the way. Before Jesus began His earthly ministry, the Spirit led Him out into the desert regions to be tempted by Satan. And Satan hit Him everywhere that we are tempted. In the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And every time temptation came, Jesus fought it off, and He fought it off using the Word of God, Scripture. Like every other boy in Hebrew school, Jesus had learned and memorized and hid in His heart the Scriptures. If you've been watching uh, Dallas Jenkins' series, The Chosen, about Jesus and the disciples, powerful, powerful... um, uh, show that has been given to us, a representation of what the Bible says uh, in, a, in a great way of seeing the relevance of of the teaching of Jesus and seeing how it actually affected the, uh, the those around Him, the disciples that He called. But I, I love the episodes where the, these Jewish boys that had gone to Hebrew school, they start to quote Scripture, and they all quote the same Scripture. They have all memorized. They have hidden God's Word in their heart. It's very powerful, and it's a great testimony to the power of God's Word when you know it and you can put it into your heart because then it directs your path the way that it's supposed to direct your path. Now, some people say, well, I I can't memorize very well. Well, then I'd say, well, do you like music? Yeah, I I like music. Do do you ever sing along um, like when nobody else is in the car with you and you crank up the radio and you're just singing along And you know most of the words, right? Well, that's why I love worship songs that actually incorporate Scripture. Because if you sing something, it helps you remember it. I was one time part of a children's musical at church that was going through the Ten Commandments. And it was helping us learn the Ten Commandments by teaching us songs. And one of the songs was just saying, sing it, you'll never forget it. Singing, you'll never forget it. And I haven't. I did that uh, uh, that uh, show uh, in uh, seventh grade, and I'm now 53 years old. And I still remember the words to the songs that we sang. And, and not just that particular show, but other shows. The, the, the children began to sing songs like, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you know that song, then you know Scripture. That's Matthew 6.33. How about... Uh, Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever, for He is good. He is above all things. His love endures forever. Well, that's Psalm 118. How about, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That's Psalm 42. Or how about, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. That's Psalm 95. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. That's Psalm 40. uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 40. Or, uh, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. That's 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He has shown thee, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God, that's Micah six, eight. I can go on and on and on and on and on. I as a young man, as 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 a, as a child, I would learn these songs that were scripture songs, and now I have memorized scripture because I knew those songs, because I sang those songs. And then, of course, created me a clean heart. Oh, God. We looked at that last week from Psalm 51. So if you have problems memorizing, engage in worship. There's plenty of of things found in God's Word that are now songs available for us to sing every week. It takes discipline, though, to put God's Word in our heart. But again, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, then it's kind of the point to, to... Put yourself through discipline, right? It's no wonder that the modern American church has become so biblically illiterate. We we aren't very disciplined. We don't seem to have time to be disciplined. We, so, so we don't even read the Word, much less meditate on it or memorize it. But God says, listen, if you, if you want to keep your way pure, if you want to be able to have a clean heart, a pure heart, well, then you need to be in His Word reading it and memorizing it so that at the times that Satan comes at you with those temptations, you're able to stand up to those temptations because of the Word of God. So a heart that hides your Word. Second, a heart that's undivided, but one you, Lord, rule and reign. You know, have you ever found that when you're making choices, it, it gets harder and harder to make the right choice anymore because, simply because there's so many things to choose from, right? Right? It's crazy, it's like for every choice you make, there are ten choices that you don't make, and if you're like a couple of my past bosses in ministry, remembering those choices that you didn't make, that drives you nuts. Ah oh, man, maybe I should have done this, maybe I should have gone here maybe I, I I don't want to make the wrong choice, so now I'm paralyzed. How do you know what to say yes to how how do you How do you know what to say no to and and once you've decided how do you stick with your decision without wavering and second guessing and wondering if you should have made a different decision see that's that kind of mentality is like having a divided heart you you made a decision but then you wonder ah did i really make the right decision is this really the right path that i need to go down it's it's like the person in front of me on the highway who can't decide which lane he wants to be in right or or i've seen people think that they wanted to stay on the highway and they are there in the left lane, the fast lane. And they realize just as they begin to pass that exit, oh no, that's the exit I really should have taken. And then I've literally seen people cut across four lanes of traffic to, to get to that ramp. And, uh, and it's crazy. They obviously had a divided heart. Do I want to go straight or do I want to take this, this exit? It's those who know that they've chosen correctly from the get-go, or very close to the get-go, that can proceed with an undivided heart because they know that they've made the right choice. And they've made the right choice with this particular idea of the heart that's undivided because it's their path has been dictated, directed by the Lord. He rules. He reigns. And so, therefore, it's easy for someone to have a, an undivided heart who has already made Jesus Lord and said, I'm, wherever you want me to go, that's where I'm going to go. See, Jesus made it clear that whenever He called His disciples, He says, I, I, I need you. I need all of you, not just half of you, not just a 10% of you. Famously, in the Gospels, Jesus encountered some people who were interested in possibly joining the team? Luke chapter 9, as they were walking along the road, a man said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looked at him and said, hmm, did you know that foxes have dens and and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head? Are you really wanting to follow me? Uh, Then he said to another man, follow me. But that man said, "Well, well, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You must go proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, please understand that this is the same Jesus who actually upheld Moses' command for children to honor their parents. So the, the, the point here is something deeper than mere family relationships. It seems like Jesus is saying, oh, you, you don't need to worry about your family. You don't need to love your family. Don't take care of your family. No. No, that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is drawing a line. He is saying, listen, I don't want, I don't want to compete with anything else in your life. I don't want just a portion of you. If you're going to follow me, it's going to require your undivided heart where nothing Not even your family. Not even your family is more important to you than your spiritual health and your connection with me, says Jesus. You need to be close to the Master. You need to be undivided. So it's like He sang another song. All of me, Jesus, take all of me. Can't you see that I'm no good without you? Maybe that should be a song that we sing around here. If I know D.C., He'll probably bring that up next Sunday. In, in what ways do people tend to have uh, an und- uh, a, or a divided heart towards God? Well, it's when, when we're proud and self-righteous, depending upon our own uh, power to save us. Uh, that could bring up a divided heart. Or if we insist on worshiping the right God, but we insist on worshiping Him in the wrong way where he has already prescribed to us what he wants, and we say, well, yeah, but that costs too much. I, I'm just going to do this, and that should work. Or or we say that we love him, but then we turn around and hate those that he loves. We ignore those that he cares for. Or we say that we love him, but then it turns out by our actions that we actually love other things, even even good things, but we love other things more than we love him. See, Those four things right there, that's a great test. If you ever want to know if your heart's divided, just check yourself with those four areas of, of your life to see how you're doing in your heart's response to God's rule in your life. All right. Number three, a heart that beats compassion. A heart that beats compassion that pleases you, my Lord. Compassion. That's surely something that we need in this world today. I love Winnie the Pooh. I love Winnie the Pooh. And, and there's a story uh, told by A.A. A. Milne about Winnie the Pooh and his friend Eeyore the donkey. Um, Pooh's walking along the river, and he sees Eeyore floating, floating down the river uh, on his back. Okay, and Now, Eeyore, being normally gloomy, is extra gloomy, it looks like, and uh, because, well, he's floating on his back and can't do anything about it. And the following conversation happens. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Pooh says, have have you fallen in the river, Eeyore? And Eeyore in his deep voice goes, silly of me. Silly of me, wasn't it? And then Pooh says, well, it, it seems to me you really should have been more careful. And Eeyore says, oh, well, thanks for the advice. And Pooh says, it also seems to me that you're sinking. And Eeyore says, well, it appears I am. Uh, don't don't think you'd be of the mind to help rescue me by chance. (laughs) So Pooh, being a bear of very little brain, finally realizes the situation. He actually helps, and they rescue Eeyore. And Eeyore apologizes for being such a bother. And Pooh says, oh, don't be silly. You should have said something sooner. Now, obviously, it's not that Pooh didn't care, but Pooh just didn't think about showing compassion to Eeyore as he was floating down the river. When we encounter people in need, are we like poo? Sometimes they're just kind of clueless as to what is actually needed, and, and so, so we're not real quick to show compassion. And, and sometimes we're even quicker to admonish, well, you know, you, you really should have been more careful. You think? Uh, that's not what people need at that time. They need compassion. In, in the gospel accounts, we're told numerous times that Jesus saw somebody and had compassion on them. Blind men, demoniacs, crippled and diseased, spiritually lost people, hurting people. Nowhere do we find Jesus pulling a Winnie the Pooh saying, well, you really should have been more careful. The heart of God has always been for the down and out, for the poor, for the oppressed, for those who cannot fend for themselves, for those who need compassion. He has always required of his own people to reach out to the outcast and the foreigner and the orphan and the widow. There's a haunting verse in 1 John as the Apostle John is speaking about love. And he's talking about the kind of love that God has for us and then commands us to have for others. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, well, then how can the love of God be in him That's a very good question. I say I love you, and I've got a way to help you, but I don't. So do I really love you? How can the love of God truly be in me? So he says, dear children, let us not just love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. See, do you see the reflection of Jesus' compassion that we're supposed to demonstrate in our lives? Now, I I do want to share some wisdom in how to practically live out this particular passage, this principle, Because if we were to be honest, we would have to admit that this world is filled with people in need. So how do we wrap our heads around the idea that God wants us to help fill those needs? Well, the short answer is we can't fill all of those needs. Of course we can't fill all of those needs. But just because we can't help all of them, it doesn't mean that we can't help some of them. Perhaps you've heard the story about a man who was walking along a beach one early morning and he saw in the distance a, 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 the silhouette of another man doing kind of a weird dance on the beach. And as he approached, he realized that the dance was actually an action, how, how this man was going and picking up these starfish that had been washed up on the shore and had been abandoned by the the tide going back out, and now they were going to dry out and die. And this man was picking up the starfish. And there, there were literally... Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of starfish uh, on this part of the of the beach, and this guy was picking up a starfish and throwing it back into the water, and then picking up another starfish and throwing it back in the water and, and the the first man said, uh, "What are you doing?" And the second man explained what what happens with the tide, bringing up the the starfish and and um, abandoning them on the shore. And how he picks them up each morning and throws, uh, throws them back so that they can live. And the first man says, "But there are perhaps a thousand or more starfish on this beach, and, and and the sun is coming out. You can't possibly make a difference by throwing them back." The answer to that man was the second man picking up another starfish and throwing him into the ocean. And then looking at the first man and saying it made a difference to that one. How can you make a difference? You can't take care of all of them, no. But I can do my part. I can show compassion to those that God has brought into my life. I don't have to show compassion to the entire world. I, in fact, sometimes when when we just say, "Well, you know, I'm part of the Church Universal," then then it kind of gets nebulous as to whom I, I'm supposed to love, right? It's, hey, I love everybody, but you cannot solve the world's problems. But you can make a difference to one. You can show compassion to one as you're part of a local body of, of believers and, and uh, practice the one another's, love one another, carry one another's burdens, uh, be, be compassionate towards one another as the Bible has called you to do. The Bible tells us that God has determined where you're going to live and when you're going to live. So what that tells me is that when you encounter somebody with a need and you have the means to help, then that's the place and the time that God determined for you to be in. So how are you going to respond? Now, you might say, but what if I don't have the means to help? Well, then l- let me tell you this. Then you do you, okay? The Bible tells us that God has determined which gifts people will receive from the Holy Spirit in order to strengthen the body of Christ and to make it function in a healthy way. So if you can allow God, no, I'm sorry, if you can find out how God has wired you, if you can find out what extra He has blessed you with, be it finances or maybe an expertise in a particular field or perhaps extra room in your house or maybe an extra car that you're not using, then maybe, maybe you've been blessed with the ability to spend time with somebody and truly listen to them. Maybe you've been given some extra time in your, in your week that you can actually drive people to, to appointments, for example. Whatever it, whatever it is that God has gifted you with, with extra, are you willing to use that as means to help other people in compassion? See, that's the kind of heart God is looking for, a, a heart that beats compassion that would please Him because we understand where His heart is and that's where our heart is as well. Finally, the song says, it's a sweet aroma of worship that rises to your throne. I want you to just jot these Scripture references down and then look them up later because there's a lot of things in the Bible about our worship to God being a pleasing aroma. John four twenty four. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Romans twelve one I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Ephesians five two walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13.16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we're told that worshiping God in spirit and truth brings a pleasing aroma to Him. So does when we present our whole lives to Him, sacrificing our will to His will, walking in love towards others. That's a fragrant offering, as, as well as doing good in this world and sharing what we have. Well, what, what is it like to God when we do these things? I've always thought, I've always liked thinking that when God sees our hearts moving in line with Him, that aroma of worship, that sweet aroma of worship is lifted up like a good barbecue, where the meats are just succulent, roasting over the Traeger, juicy. Maybe you, you even have some roasted vegetables out there. These have been prepared to be pleasant tasting, to be pleasant smelling, and they have been purposed to be consumed. It draws folks in. It brings nourishment. That's what it means to be found in Christ. We become a sweet aroma of worship as we sacrifice our life to the cause of Christ and let Him live through us. So much about Christ is that we are in Christ. Our forgiveness is found in Christ. Our eternal life is found in Christ. Our righteousness in the presence of God is found in Christ. Jesus said, whoever loses their life for me will find it. And and as we are in Christ, Jesus is the pleasant aroma then to God. To lose ourselves in Him means it's no longer us who live, but Christ living in us and through us. And that is a sweet aroma of worship to God. Well, that's uh, about all that I uh, needed to to say in this particular uh, podcast. Um, A pure heart, that's what we long for. A heart that would follow hard after God. One that hides the Word of God in our hearts so that sin may not come in. And a heart that's undivided, but one he rules and reigns in a heart that beats compassion that pleases him and a sweet aroma of worship that rises to his throne. Now, if that's your desire to have a pure heart, mm-hmm. then it, it involves surrendering to the one that can give you that kind of heart. But surrendering is the key. As David said, here I am creating me a clean heart. That's the best health heart health advice that anybody can give you. Follow after him follow hard after him and keep checking on how he changes you as you surrender more and more of your life to him all right that's about wraps it up if you ever find yourself in powell butte oregon please swing by and see us we have an eight thirty service a 10 30 service and an 11 30 service on sunday mornings we even have a cowboy church at seven o'clock on saturday nights um We'd love to have you here and love to have you come up and introduce yourself and say, hey, I've caught you on the podcast, and that would be awesome. Again, I'd like to thank Lisa Welly, my uh, executive producer, uh, S- Steve Pittman, who has uh, been kind of the, um, the uh, director of all of the instrumentations and electronics for us, uh, letting us get up and, and, and uh, let this thing happen, and um, you can catch us on YouTube. On our YouTube channel, just uh, look up uh, Powell Butte Christian Church and you can watch our services online as well. May God bless you as you live your life for Him this week. We'll talk to you next week.